I mean, I'm sure many of you resonated with what I said uh, at the beginning. You knew a Baptist church always because they had the white columns out front and the red brick. You could go to them. In fact, it's, it's, it's kind of funny when, when uh, I've uh, uh, gone to do things in other cities. And they, they say, well, how you know where it is? You don't have the address. I, I said, usually you go to, a, if it's in a small town, you go to a small town. And you go, it's either on Main Street or it's one street off of Main Street. And it's a red brick building with the white columns out front. You know, it's a Baptist church. Now, quite frankly, this church doesn't look like that, does it? doesn't look like that, and I'm glad it doesn't. I like the way this church looks. I mean, I didn't have anything to do with it, but it's certainly, I do like the way it looks. But, but you know that the building is not the church. This is the church building. This is not the church. And a lot of times you say, I'm going to go down to the church. And I know we say that all the time. But what we're really saying is that we're going to go down to the church building. Not the church. Because the church is the people. That's reality. The church is the people. That's, it's, that's what we have here. And so, and, and, and think about this. I, I want you to think about this a little bit. As the church, we are the believers in Jesus Christ. And we are in the world and realize we're on Satan's home court. You realize that? He's got home court advantage in this. And he, uh, we, should be a, we should be an army, or a navy if you guys are navy, I guess. And said, so, well, we, uh, we should be at least a military force that is taking back that which Satan has already claimed. He's claimed people. You realize that? He, 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 he takes the default position. You know, a lot of people are asking me, you know, do you think that such and such will send you to hell? And I tell them, you know what will send you to hell? Never giving your life to Jesus Christ. Never receiving the forgiveness that he has for you. Because everybody is a sinner. Everybody is a sinner. And whether you sin what we call a big sin or you sin a little sin, that's not what we're looking at here. So he will take that default position, which means that you will go to hell if you don't do anything about it. And so you receive Jesus. But we should be those people that trust in Jesus and should become the spiritually fighting people who will take the gospel to those whom Satan has already claimed. He claimed them, but we're going to take them back for God. In reality, that's what the church should be. How would you evaluate our church, this church right here, amongst the people? Well, I did a little bit of this. I looked at it, especially looking at membership and all of that. We're supposed to be on mission for God, but there's a number of people that are AWOL. You understand what they're AWOL? They're not here. In fact, we haven't seen them in some time. Some of them, we don't even know where they live. We don't know where they are anymore. They're AWOL. There's many people who are out of shape. They just haven't done anything in so long. They haven't, they don't know how to do anything anymore because of that. There's others who don't know how to fight. They don't know how to get into this fight in the first place. So they, they sit and they watch. And, they, and, and in other words, they'll say, oh, I wish our church was such and such. But you know what? They're not doing anything to, to make it, to, to change it. There are many who are in the hospital. Now, understand, I'm not talking about in the hospital. I'm talking about they've been hurt so deeply somewhere that they need to come to church and they just need to heal. That's what they need. They need healing, not from physical ailments but from emotional things that have happened in their lives. They need to heal from that. And then there's a few people who are fighting and carrying on the load for the whole church. 
They're the ones that are they serve in nearly every place that we've got to serve. They're the ones that are giving nearly all the money that are needs that are needed for materials. And they will work themselves until they finally work themselves out. I can tell you what will happen to them. Now, how did the church get this way? Well, I can't preach to the AWOL people. They're not here. here. And they're not going to watch online either. AWOL people are not doing either one. They're not here and they're not going to watch online. I can guarantee you that. So we've got to have to just say we can't expect anything from them. And those that are recovering from a defeat, recovering from some kind of emotional distress in their lives, they need time to recover. Honestly, they just need to sit, chill, listen, and, 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 and heal for, for the moment. I, I got that already. I understand that. Those that are out of shape need to get to work. If, if they, don't, they don't start getting back to work, they won't get anything done anyway. So that's when. But, but here's the situation. The church is difficult if it is done right. It's not just a thing of getting more people in the building. It's difficult if it's done right. For we are fighting a formidable foe. And he knows more about fighting than we do. I want you to hear how, I don't want you to tell you how bad it is. I want you to tell you what we're facing. For Satan uses discouragement, difficulties, disagreements, depression, desires, and doubt against us. He uses all of those things against us. And I promise he knocks a lot of us down over and over again. And he'll either leave you alone if you don't follow the Lord or he will use you to cause an insurrection within the church. So the church cannot do what the church needs to do if you're not going to get in the battle against him. This is what he does. So, you know... I think that a lot of people, though, he just leaves them alone. If they don't bother him, you know, he's going to leave them alone. Now, if we were serious about this fight, each person would have a specialty in which they fight with. That's what they do in the Army. I'm sure that's what they do in the Navy. You see, the church then, on the other hand, would be formidable. Now, let's look at what the Scripture says here in... 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Now, if you have an army, any army out there, an army knows who is in the lead. That's the reality, folks. An army is going to know who's in the lead. It stands that when we look at this, it says it stands that Jesus is the cornerstone. The cornerstone. Understand this. He's a cornerstone. And when you had a cornerstone, the cornerstone was that first stone that was laid. You're building a stone building. And obviously, I think it's obvious, maybe it's not obvious to some people, but it's going to determine all of the stones that are going to go this way. And all of the stones that are going to go this way. You lay it like this, it's going to determine 
squared off from that stone in every way. And so that all the other stones are laid according to the orientation to the cornerstone. Now here, folks, is what we need to remember. The one in charge is not the pastor, not the elders, not the deacons, and not the people. Do you understand? Not any of those are the one in charge. The one in charge is the Lord himself. And if we do not understand that every last one of us has been laid according to him rather than according to what we want to do, it said, then we do not understand this. And any disobedience to what he wants us to do is insubordination. So what we need to do is understand he is the one that is in charge. He is the one that has become the cornerstone. He is the one that has set every last one of us on the path that we need to take. And what is our path? To follow the commands of Jesus Christ. He is the one who is in charge. I'm going to give you the top seven. The top seven, I call them the top seven, in the, in the scripture of what it says that we need to do. You want to be a fighting people? You want to be a people who are going to take back the, um, the things that Satan has claimed? Let's look at these things. First one, and you put a little number one for that, that's next place on your, on your uh, uh, note sheet there. Repent and come to Jesus. That is the absolute first thing that he's commanded. In fact, when he began his ministry, he said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is his beginning message, the message that he would tell people. It's what he's saying. You've got to change direction in your life. You know, I have people that come to me and they say, as I said a minute ago, does such and such, does such and such uh, uh, send people to hell? Does such and such send them to hell? And I, and I keep saying, no, no, not trusting in Jesus is what does it. But also, this is one thing that also has to happen. And it's very clear here. We have to repent in order to trust in Jesus. We have to turn around from where we're going in order to trust in Jesus. I believe that there's very many people that are out there that you're going to share Christ with. You're going to talk to, and they are good, and they are benevolent. And, they, and when you tell them to repent, they're going to look and say, what do I need to repent of? Because in reality, they're better than a lot of us. You got the neighbor that is really as good as gold, and they're a lot better than us. And, but they've got to admit that every last one of us is sinners. And we're not looking to see how good we're going to be at the end. We have to have a zero in our account when it comes to our sins. And only Jesus can forgive us of our sins so that there's a zero in our account. There's no sins held against us whatsoever. We're not looking to get better. We're actually looking to have our sins completely covered. So these good and benevolent people, sometimes I would have to say to them, is you're going to have to repent of your goodness. Does that sound crazy? Because you think that your goodness is going to take you to heaven and your goodness is not going to take you to heaven. It's not going to get you there. And you're depending on it. I'm a good person. That's right. You are a good person. Everybody will consider you a good person, but your goodness is not going to get you there. You're going to have to repent from depending upon your own goodness even in order to know who Jesus Christ is. When Paul was talking of his own life, he said, according to his own Jewish faith, 
he was good as one could get. He said in Philippians chapter 3 verse 4, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Even his goodness had to be repented of. He still needed to repent. And there's still lots of people. They're, they're depending on their goodness. Jesus said to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never, never, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These people have done some pretty amazing things. They've done some very good things, but it was still all wrong. Now, let's consider something. The road is clogged. You know what I'm talking about. You've been over to the uh, tunnel a couple of times, and the road is absolutely clogged. I mean, clogged, clogged, clogged. It's the clog of the century. And so you decide to take an exit. You take an exit, and now you are making time like you have never made time before. You are traveling down the road. There's nobody in front of you. You are making that time like crazy. The only problem is you're going the wrong way. Now think about that. It's not about looking good. It's not about making time. It's about going in the right direction and going the right person. Repentance is to turn around. Turn around. And go the right direction. Number two on my list of things that Jesus said. Follow Jesus then and become fishers of men. Matthew 4.19 says, And he said to them, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Following Jesus will make us, if we truly follow Jesus, makes us fishers of men. That will mean that we will bring others with us. When we show up in heaven... We won't be alone. There will be those people that we have brought with us. Fishing, I think, was used because of the people he called. They were fishermen. But I think fishing is also used because it's not hurting. It doesn't say, you know, follow me and I'll make you herders of men. You see, lots of people out there trying to herd people to Jesus. One of them they use is fear. Fear. I had an evangelist one time at one of the churches. He tried to scare people into trusting in Jesus. I mean, he talked, he did a sermon based on what hell will look like. I'm going to tell you what, nobody knows what hell is going to look like. And he was yelling at people and telling them, you know, they're straightened up because, you know, they were going to hell and all of this kind of stuff. And he was trying to scare them the best that he knew how to scare them. But do you know what happens when people are afraid? They run from what they're afraid of. They don't run toward anything. They run from what they are afraid of. They did not run to Jesus. But when you're a fisherman, what do you use? You use bait is what you use. 
You throw the story of Jesus into the water and you let the bait do its work. Because that's what really happens. Most people won't come to Jesus until they see the benefits. And it's more than going to heaven. It's having heaven born inside of you. I didn't come to Jesus personally. I didn't come to Jesus because I couldn't live in this world. I didn't think that, the, that you know, I, that I didn't think that, you know, I, in fact, at the time that I came to Jesus, I was, I was almost 19 years of age. I thought I was going to live forever. You know, we all did back at about almost 19 years of age, 18, last my 18th year. But you see, when I came to Jesus, I said, you know what? I need a direction in my life and a purpose. My purpose is not to be a preacher. I want you to hear that. That is not my purpose. My purpose is following Jesus. And when you do, he will make you a fisher of men. Let's go to number three. Love God with all you are. It says when one of them came to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? It says in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. You know, it, it's, it would be really, it, it would be extremely hard to love God if you didn't love Jesus. You understand that? It would be extremely hard to love God. If you didn't love Jesus. John 14, 8 says, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? How can you say, show us the Father? It'd be extremely hard to love God if you didn't love Jesus. You see, you love someone you know. You love, and it's not infatuation. It's not an infatuation. Infatuation is a feeling of of foolish or obsessively strong love for, admiration for, or interest in someone or something, strong and unreasoning attachment, according to Merriam-Webster Dictionary. See, the word used in that Matthew 22, 37 says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, is the word agape. It's the same word that we have when God speaks of us. It's the same word that we have in John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. He loved us while we were still sinners. He loved us even though he knew us. He knew every breath we would take and everything we'd ever say or ever do or even think. It's the kind of love that is so deep understand and I just realized that this week it's the kind of love that is so deep that when God feels the joy you feel the joy and when God would feel the pain and God does feel pain by the way you would feel the pain and I realized that this week because my wife had corporal tunnel surgery on Friday and this is no joke I love my wife more than I can tell you. On Friday, I mean, they showed the places where they'd cut her wrist and all that kind of stuff. I was back there for it. Did you know that I started feeling the pain right after the surgery that she had? I mean, I know they call it sympathetic pain, 
But in reality, I think that when you love somebody so much, you're going to feel the pain that they feel. And you're going to feel the joy that they feel. And it's not going to be something that you're going to say, oh my goodness, I wish they hadn't received that accolade or that whatever it was going on in their lives. See, it should be that you have such a love for God that no child, nor job, nor hobby should get in the way. Not money, not some prized possession or interest should get in the way. It's an all-in love That's what it is. Number four, love your neighbor as yourself. It's in the scripture. Uh, The next verse right after the one that I just read in Matthew 22. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You know that I make pies for my neighbors. You know, I decided that I needed to love my neighbors. And so I decided, how am I going to get to know them? You can't love someone you don't know. Just like I said a minute ago, it'd be hard to, it'd be hard to love, you know, God without uh, loving Jesus because you couldn't know God without knowing Jesus. And I, I, so I decided that I needed to, to love them. So I started making pecan pies on Easter and I make, um, apple pies on Independence Day and pumpkin pies at Thanksgiving. And I go around and I give it to my neighbors. And by the way, I, I love you guys too. I've got two pecan pies for the thing tonight. Just to let you know what's going on here. But now I need to step up my game with my neighbors. Do you understand? I need to step up my game. I need to prove to them not that this is my hobby, but it's because I love them. I need to actually love my neighbors. Now, I realize my neighbors extend beyond my neighborhood, but I can't make pies for everyone. But I will love them because that's what God has told me to do. I pray for the people that I know. I pray especially when I know of a need. And I I mean, when you have somebody that you love, what do you do for them? Anything they need. Anything they need. You know what you treat them? You treat them like Jesus. Let's go to number five. Then love like Jesus is the next one. Love like Jesus. Jesus said in John thirteen thirty four, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to are you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I think this is the hardest command of all, tell you the truth. You love others like Jesus loved them. Now, what, how much did Jesus love people? He sacrificed his life for them. That's how much. It's more than being nice. A lot of times what churches say is, oh, they're a friendly church. People are not looking for friendly churches. They're looking for friends. Someone who will actually take an interest in them. Someone that will be there for them in their greatest time of need. You know, and when you love like Jesus, you love even when these people might abandon you. Because all of Jesus' disciples, except with the possibility of John abandoned Jesus 
when he went to the cross. And this truly defines what love is. You see, it seems that we think we love people who love us, but that's not what we're called to do. We love people who don't love us. You know, the, the amazing thing is, is that we have to love those people. And, and here's what I'll say, say to you. We can hate people as long as we don't get to know them. A lot of times I've seen people, they hate people and they, they put out hate speech about somebody. Maybe they're in a different color. Maybe they're a different religion. Maybe there's something else about them that they... But I can tell you, once you get to know those people, that melts away for, the, for you. When you do that, you start loving like Jesus loved. You understand. You see, it is easy to hate someone from another religion because you think they're their enemy. They are not the enemy. Understand, because we do not fight against flesh and blood. Number six, forgive those who have wronged you. This is a hard one. Matthew eighteen twenty one. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Now this has been explained over and over. I, I agree with that. Most people are looking for an exemption. Some people might be saying, okay, yeah, but the 78th time, I don't have to do it anymore. They're looking for some way out of it, but there are no exemptions in this. What they do is they wait for someone to apologize or repent before they will give them forgiveness. And that isn't what the scripture says, not at all. That isn't mentioned. You see, people think that's what God did. God, you know, he, he waited until, you know, he forgave you uh, after you, you repented and all of that. You see, but God is waiting for us to repent. I agree with that. But his forgiveness is already existing right there for us. It isn't that he doesn't have, have the forgiveness for us. It's that we have to receive his forgiveness. And so we've got to give it to others. We have received this as a gift, not something that's forgiveness that we've received. It's not something that's just so we can say that I've got it. It's so that we can give it away. For, for forgiveness is a gift. It is a gift. See, God gives it to you. You must give it to others even if they never apologize. They never repent of what they've done. Holding a wrong um, a wrong committed against you is like taking poison hoping the other person dies. It's what it's doing to you inside of you that causes it. You will never be free. It causes you so much problem until you forgive. And I know that some of you have been hurt deeply by, by someone and you refuse to forgive. And that lack of forgiveness is holding you hostage to the wrong that was committed against you. And I'm not telling you to trust that person or let them hurt you again. I'm telling you to let that pain go and forgive them. Remember that God forgave you for things that you can't even remember. Forgiveness is a gift to God and to yourself, if for no other reason. You know, it says, I, I got this quote when I was preparing this. 
Not long before she died in 1988, in a moment of surprising candor on television, Marganita Lasky, one of our best-known secular humanists and novelists, said, What I envy about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. Think about that. That's what we can be, that people of forgiveness. Number seven, what did Jesus say? Make disciples. Make disciples. Matthew 28, 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even even, to the end of the age. This is the command to the Christian church. We are the church, by the way, folks. And we are all oriented toward that cornerstone. Jesus made disciples. You will never know, you will, the, the world will never know Jesus, rather, because of the church. Because simply just getting people into church won't accomplish anything except possibly to swell the pride of the preacher. The world will never know Jesus because of good deeds. Good deeds are done by people, by a lot of people who don't know Jesus. The world will never know Jesus by evangelism alone. Evangelists, they make people like the evangelists. You know, that was the problem with the Pharisees. They made, they made their own proselytes, and they were twice the son of the devil as they were. But the world will be won to Jesus by those who follow Jesus. Realize that. If we're going to take what Satan has claimed, we keep his commands. And you know, and then we make disciples that are just like us. Just like us. And if Jesus is truly the cornerstone, we should be, we should be the building in accordance with him. Pray with me.